On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Toad the Wet Sprockets, Bread and Circus, Hail and Fear. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Paul Zotter as we start our mini-segment on Toad the Wet Sprocket, covering Bread and Circus, Pale, and Fear. All right. That's a a bold agenda. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for one for one evening well you know let's let's aim high and see how far we can get is how i see it so, i like it so so paul welcome back to the palaver it, it's been in real time although our audience may not uh, realize it or or feel it it's actually been quite a long time since we've recorded a regular episode of progressive palaver it is true We've been doing a lot of, of specials and interviews and and mailbags and and Star Warsy type stuff, but we haven't uh, we haven't done um, you know any significant standard work. And I guess some would argue that you know much as we covered in our special concert series on Toad the Wet Sprocket, this particular band maybe still doesn't count on our on our core mission of of talking about the greatest progressive rock bands. However, as we also explained on that special concert series episode, there are some, certainly some aspects of Toad the Wet Sprocket, certainly in the later albums that I think, you know, approach the area that we like to talk about. And for us as a group of friends growing up and and learning you know, about music together as we grew up. Toe the Wet Sprocket has always held a pretty important part um, amongst us. It's it's one of the few bands that virtually all of us like and embrace. That doesn't happen very often. Normally there's one or two of us that are kind of like, nah, I don't know. And then of course the, the centerpiece of the whole Toad the Wet Sprocket conversation here at the Palaver, although based on recent text conversation, maybe it's not quite the uh, the exciting drama we were hoping for, is, but for years we have had an ongoing um, discussion, point of contention, um, you know, a feud, if you will, over the album Coil, which we won't get to tonight, but... Um, it, it's true. I remember specifically when we were all in Las Vegas for... Um, whatever we were doing in Las Vegas, shenanigans. And I specifically remember riding a very large escalator at a, in some casino hotel, arguing with Tom (laughs) about coil. (laughs) That very much sounds like us. (laughs) I love that you started out with that, that sort of um, recap of our feelings towards Toad the Wet Sprocket, and and one of the things that that I, I was thinking about as you were saying that is, in the most recent days of the palaver, we have somewhat strayed from our original 
uh, mission statement, if you will. And we have really ensconced ourselves in in what I would I would not say are the classic progressive rock bands, um, the greatest progressive rock bands, if you will. But we've really stretched ourselves um, over the last several months. Um, you and Ken have been uh, talking with the likes of Dave Kersner. You're talking with Robert Berry, Ken, and his prog stock experience, um, experience, and all of the the artists. I mean, we are we are legitimately taking a plunge into the pool of of dare I say modern progressive rock now with um with the last few months of what we've doing what we've been doing and uh, and where we are going to it's pretty exciting it is exciting and and that's you know I don't know that we planned for this when we started um, the palaver but that's the beauty of it right because you get you you get exposed to these things and you come across these these interesting people and they compel you to to expand your horizon, which is part of what music is supposed to do anyway. So, I, yeah, I think it's I think in some ways it's a it's a sort of a natural progression. I, I mean, it it almost becomes I mean, if all we did was talk about albums that are 40 years old, we'd end up just running a history lesson. And while there's there's, you know, a lot of value there and I, I really do enjoy that. You know, some of this new stuff is is exciting as well because it gives you something to look forward to. And I, I think, you know, again, for me, the catalyst of, of that was probably in the last couple of years, individuals or artists that bridge that gap. So Marillion's Fear and the Stephen Wilson back half of that catalog sort of spring to mind as it's like, hey, here are some things that have, have come out, you know, just in the last couple of years that are just phenomenal, off the charts, as good as anything you know, we talked about from back in the mid seventies, right? So it, it just, to me, it seems like a natural progression. And somewhere in the midst of all of that is a band that has really nothing to do with progressive rock at all. Nothing to do with progressive rock, but we love them anyway. We do love them. And that's, you know, that's, you know, that's the beauty of, of having our own podcast, right? We can, <laughs> we right. can bend the rules if we want. If we, we want to talk do. about Toad the Wet Sprocket, well, we can do that. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things, one of the sort of cadences that we have fallen into here at the Palaver is we, we will do what I, what I like to refer to as a, a long segment on a band um, where we spend, you know, 10, 12, 15 episodes talking about a single band. And it, it, it's like a little palate cleanser to do the shorter segments. And so the, that's the idea here, to cover Toad the Wet Sprocket in just a couple of episodes, two, maybe three, depending on how excited we get to talk about Coil, before we dive into our next large segment. So, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a, little, it's a little break. It's a little, little you know, uh, breather, a little palate cleanser um, before we, we continue on with uh, our core mission. I like the idea of the palate cleanser. Toad the Wet Sprocket is is like the sorbet. We've mentioned the sorbet of, of the progressive palaver before. They're yeah. just another another type of sorbet. Love it. So and and I think in some ways it's probably appropriate, Paul, that it's it's you and I here this evening talking about the, the front half of Toad the Wet Sprocket. It was you and I who covered the Toad the Wet Sprocket concert that I saw here in Dallas several years uh, ago. Yes. 
Yes. And I how, how many years ago was it? Uh, it? It looks like it was just about a, a sh- couple weeks over two years. Wow. I, I, <laughs> I, I pulled up I pulled up the uh, the set list, and it was in November of 2017. If you can believe that. Oh wow. Yeah, we've been doing this for quite some Ooh. time. Wowzers. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I also want to say, you know, one of the things we always like to um, to, to to start off on a segment is talk about, you know, how we got into the band and, and everything else. And I think, you know, here again, based on my recollection and, and my memory, is, as we know, is is crap. So I'm going to look to you to sort of back me up on this. Uh, you know, I want to say that in, in our little group, I think Toad the Wet Sprocket began with me and you. I'll take it. Sure. I, I, have, um, I have specific memories of playing... Um, Hold her down at, at the uh, radio station in college. Uh-huh. I guess uh, probably in my senior year of college when when Fear came out and they were largely unknown. And then I, I, I would I would say that after graduation there was that wonderful time of, of life where it just seemed like music was free flowing between <laughs> um, all of us, like between the 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 mixtapes and the you know burning of uh, of um you know copying cds and everything um it just seemed like music was being passed around by cra- like crazy and so uh so anyway there was such a free flowing free flowing exchange of music and i do remember fear being the this like sort of making the rounds and i do believe that i i copied it from you yeah. and i just remember it making the rounds and everyone sort of just agreeing that you know we loved it we loved it yeah and and you know the my it's here's the funny origin story for me this actually we have my sister to thank for this when i was growing up i was always a monty python fan so the the the, the phrase toad the wet sprocket was known to me before I knew that there was a band named Toad the Wet Sprocket, and you know, if you want to, if you want to hear the the origin story of the band, there are several interviews on on YouTube where they talk about that, and it was it was meant to be a sort of a joke placeholder. Um, they just pulled it out of of the Monty Python sketch. So I I knew about you know the the phrase Toad the Wet Sprocket. And I, I hadn't really ever heard the band. I just I, at some point I guess I knew they existed. And it it was right around the time that Fear came out, so it would have been what was that ninety um, one? Fear came out at the end of ninety one, so it would have been ninety one, ninety two. So sometime in our senior year of college, and my sister apparently came across them, and she told me, I remember, she's like, "This band told the Wet Sprocket, you'd really like them." And I didn't really pay that much attention, but it was one of those things. And, and I, I, I always get my stories confused. So it, uh, there's a similar story about how I came across Dada. But long story short, I remember just going out one day and buying this record. I don't remember if I heard it in the record store or not, but I, I, I just went out and I bought it. And it was not my intention to buy it. And I remember I brought it home because I was living at your parents' house at that point. And it was one of those things where, you, you, like you said, you put it on and you're like, this is phenomenal. And, you know, from there, 
you know, the rest, the rest kind of took off. So that's cool. I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that. And I, 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 yeah, it definitely was you. I remember playing, um, hold her down and thinking, okay, cool. And, you know, clearly these guys have, uh, you know, a purpose to their music. Um, but I don't think I had heard anything else from them, uh, until, uh, until you shared, uh, uh, you shared that. Um, with us and it's um and and i think it's a very similar story with dada which is no doubt going to be another short segment uh at no, some point in time no yeah. doubt i look forward to that one as well again maybe a little off the uh the beaten progressive path however we uh we reserve the right so at, at this point then should we just get into the particulars of these albums and and see where it goes let's do it all right Bread and Circus was released in July of 1989, produced by Toad the Wet's Brocket with Brad Knack, apparently. Released both on Columbia as a re-release and Abe's Records, which was, I believe, the original independent uh, release of that. Band lineup, uh, and this is going to be the band lineup for all of these albums that we're going to talk about. Glenn Phillips on vocals and guitars. He'll add in keyboards later on. Todd Nichols on guitars. He'll add in um, backing vocals later on, I believe. Randy Gus on drums, percussion, and Dean Dinning on bass vocals, and, and he adds in keyboards later on as well. Bread and Circus, uh, the track listing is Way Away, Scenes from a Vinyl Recliner, Unquiet, Humble Slash Know Me, When We Recovered, One Wind Blows, Pale Blue, Always Changing Probably, One Little Girl, and Covered in Roses. Bread and Circus is the debut album by Toad the Wet Sprocket, originally self-released on cassette only in 1988 and re-released in 1989 by Columbia Records on CD, cassette, and vinyl with altered artwork. The album was recorded while the four members were still in high school for a total cost of $650. The album shows a more youthful and emotional side of their music. Singer Glenn Phillips wrote most of the lyrics when he was only 15 years old. In May 2009, the band announced plans to re-release Bread and Circus out of print since 2001 in a remastered edition with expanded artwork and bonus tracks culled from the album sessions that didn't make it onto the album. Their sophomore record, Pale, would also get the same kind of reissue. In 2010... The band signed a deal with Primary Wave to handle their back catalog and licensing. These reissues had been confirmed by lead singer Glenn Phillips via Toad's Fan Questions portion of their official website for release in 2011, but never occurred. Instead, a remastered vinyl LP reissue of Fear and Dulcinea were released in 2008 through the band's online store. I didn't know about that. I may want to get that. Pale was released in January of 1990. Produced by Marvin Etzioni, released on the label Columbia, same band lineup. Track listing is Torn, Come Back Down, Don't Go Away, High on a Riverbed, I Think About, Corporal Brown, Jam, Chili, Liars Everywhere, Nothing is Alone, and She Cried. Pale is a 1990 album by American alternative rock band Toad the Wet Sprocket and the band's second album. It was recorded independently in 1989 for roughly $6,000. 
During the recording of Pale, the band signed with Columbia Records. However, they declined to re-record any of the album in a more polished way. Columbia released the album without alterations, as it had done with the 1989 re-release of their debut, 19... Um, I'm sorry, 1989 re-release of their debut, 1988 album, Bread and Circus. Pale was released in January 1990. Come Back Down was the first radio single for the album. In May 2009, the band announced plans to re-release Pale out of print since 2001 in a remastered edition with expanded artwork and bonus tracks culled from the album sessions that didn't make it onto the album. Their debut, Bread and Circus, would also get the same kind of reissue. In 2010, the band signed a deal with the with Primary Wave to handle their back catalog and licensing. These reissues had been confirmed by lead singer Glenn Phillips via Toad's fan questions portion of their official website for release in 2011, but never occurred. Instead, a remastered vinyl LP reissue of Fear and Dulcinea were released in 2018 through the band's online store. Fear, released in August of 1991, produced by Gavin McKillop, McKillop uh, on the label Columbia. Same band lineup, although we do add a credit for Laurel Franklin for spoken word and additional vocals. Track listing, Walk on the Ocean, Is It For Me, Butterflies, Nightingale Song, Hold Her Down, Pray Your Gods, Before You Were Born, Something to Say, In My Ear, All I Want, Stories I tell, and I will not take these things for granted. Fear is the third studio album by Toad the Wet Sprocket, their second album for Columbia Records, released on August 27, 1991. Fear was the first commercially successful album for the band, selling over a million copies, and was certified platinum three years after release, on September 1, 1994. The album reached number 49 on Billboard's Top 200 Albums in September 1992, and two of the singles charted in the United States. All I Want and Walk on the Ocean peaked at number 15 and number 18 on the Billboard Hot 100, respectively. So is it is it just me that, like, when you read about Fear and all those songs compared to, you know, Pale and Bread and Circus, like, there's a huge difference between you know, album number three and number one and two, right? Oh, or, do we agree on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll definitely get there. There's a couple of things that amaze me about that. Like, the fact that, you know, they made one album. They, they basically are an independent band, right? Yeah. Until Fear. And they're doing it just like so many other bands in the 80s did it. They recorded their own stuff. They paid $650 to record... Bread and circuits. How do you do that? <laughs> I mean, that is, I mean, literally, they must have just went in and recorded everything on like one or two takes, and then just mixed it in a hurry on, and just got on, the hell out of there on borrowed tape or something. I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it it strikes me as to how amazing it is. You know, in a day and age when all all I hear are artists bitching and complaining about how they're not making money off their streaming and all of this stuff, that these guys, you know, you know they they got a product out there and they just were playing. And I don't even know how much they were playing. It's hard to tell. There's not a lot of lore connected with Toad the West Pocket as that I've been able to find. And um, 
if there's something really impressive and really organic and really, I think, fantastic about how they just kind of kept going and 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 emerged, you know, two albums later with something like Fear. I just think it's it's amazing. It, it, it is amazing. I think it's it's funny, you know, in even when you talk about, you know, Pale, so they increased their spend by a factor of 10, which, you know... It, it, significant. It, it's significant, but it seems more in line with what one would do. Um, right. You know, with, with regards to that. And, and still, you know, it wasn't... Uh, apparently, based on, on what I just read, it, it would appear that Columbia asked them, hey, why don't you re-record this stuff? And they're like, no, we're, we like this. Love it. And, and again, I, I'm with you. I haven't really come across any significant lore or, or seen any interviews where they talk about maybe this portion of their career, right? But how ballsy is that? You're, you know, what, 17, 18, 19, whatever they were. And Columbia comes knocking on your door and says, "Hey, we want to sign you. We want to re-release your your first, you know, album that you did, and we want you to, you know, maybe redo some of these songs you've just been recording." And you're like, "No, no, we, we we like this. You want us just, you know, release this as it is, and we'll record the next one." Yeah, we'll start on the next one. I. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. That's it is awesome. It is awesome. But, you know, there, there's a certain bravado that comes with youth, right? You know, yeah. Think about when surface tension was, was that age, right? I mean, you guys, you just you knew that you knew what it was all about. And so maybe, maybe in retrospect, it's not, it's not that surprising. It's just hard for us middle-aged men to remember that far back. That's a, that, that's a great thing because, uh, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't know if it's appropriate to just launch in, but like, I, I don't have. I honestly don't have a terrific amount of information, things to say about the the first two records. Um, but I have to say that when I listened to Bread and Circus, uh, get, getting ready for tonight, I was surprisingly nostalgic around what I heard. Not because of the music that I was hearing, but because how much it reminded me of being <laughs> sixteen. 17 18 years old and being in a band and you know because when i listen to bread and circus it's like they're plugging their strats into their amp it sounds like they're in a basement they're they're not allowed to turn it up too too much louder than what they have and and they haven't really realized that the way that the guitars are going to sound really awesome is if you actually freaking turn the amps up and um and and just use your amp for volume and and sound and it's like they're learning all about their sound they're learning about their songwriting they're learning about everything it, it really was so reminiscent to me about my youth and and the, the you know my experience with with you and the guys and surface tension and then when i sit there and think wow in what was it what when when did they decide to to spend six hundred dollars on 1989 yeah. was when and, they did Bread and Circus. Uh, they so, recorded it in 88, I think, yeah. So they recorded Bread and Circus. At the same time, the Surface Tension was recording their demo. <laughs> they they paid about half of what we paid to do it. <laughs> and and there are there there are things in here that um 
there, there's this there's one song and I'm looking at my notes to find it, but there's a song where they're they, you know they're playing Strat and they're strumming it away like it's an acoustic guitar, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking this is Sunset Serenade. <laughs> It, 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 this is exactly what we were doing when, when at the exact same time that they were. So, and and we knew, we thought we knew exactly what was going on. We thought we had it all figured out, and um, just like they did. And what I find interesting is obviously, you know, as as you know, ninety nine point nine percent of these things go. You know, we all figured that there was something better out in the world, and we all kind of left and went to do our own thing. And these guys, you know, caught some fire, caught some, you know, lightning, rode the tiger, if you will. And they also said, okay, they had creative differences and they left off. And they ended up coming back together because, and the one piece of interview lore that I did find was, you know, basically an acknowledgement of, well, we had done so much together. And then we kind of went through a phase where we thought, yeah, we're better off doing something something else. And then they just kind of realized, hey, you know what? This is kind of like our family. This is it right here. This is as good as it gets. Yeah. And um, and they've kind of come back together, and now they continue to tour. So I just find the whole thing quite, for me, quite nostalgic, and 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 I guess quite romantic in the in the sense of you know, growing up playing music together and, and continuing on in life doing that. Yeah, that, that, that is that is really cool. And it's funny you say that listening to the first two albums made you feel nostalgic. Now, I, I, I have to give a mea culpa here. I think I've listened to Bread and Circus a total of three or four times in my life. It, it's it's just, <laughs> you know, I, I've gone through my, my life, I... I bought Fear, that was my entry point. I bought Pale, and then I bought Dulcinea and and Coil going forward. But I never got... I, I don't even know if Bread and Circus was available. I didn't even know it existed back in the day. And, you know, life gets on top of you. And I just... I, I Up until we started considering it for this, I had never, ever heard it. So I, I have to put that out there. So it must be Pale, because... We've been threatening to do Toad the Wet Sprocket for quite some time, which means I've I've dusted off Pale as well as the others and, and, and really spent a whole lot of time listening to it. And I don't remember which song it is because there's there's too much going on in my life, but there's somewhere here there's a song in Pale, and I don't remember what it is, but it reminds me of something off Ralphie T or Me. Yeah. It it I don't, and I don't remember what it what it is, and it's not it's not overt necessarily, but there's there's just something about the the way it sounds that I'm just like, whoa, that reminds me of something. It's like, oh, cool. It's really funny to me that that you 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 say that because, uh, you know, even later in life, when like there have been times in my forties when I've like. When I've kicked around, I've sat around drinking beers with Dave Dewitt, and we've t- and you know we've had nothing going on creatively, and we've thought like we should we should just start writing songs. Like what what would we what would we want to do? There's been at least two occasions where we both have just kind of said we should just like try to write songs like Toe the Wet Sprocket," <laughs> um, because there there is something you know by and large my you know in my own personal journey in songwriting and and playing music 
it, it's been largely sitting around with an acoustic guitar and, you know, and singing in a, in a tenor uh, baritone range. Right. So it, it fits so nice. Um, it, in, in my acoustic cover life, I, I'm, I'm amazed at how few Toad the Wet Sprocket songs I've ever done. Um, but recently I've started to do more and more because uh, it's just so there is something about their music that, um, you know, wh- whether, you know, th- I mean, basically they're our contemporaries, right? We're, we're the yeah. same age as them. Um, we we ha- at least have experienced the world in this in the same exact time frame. And um, there is just something about that connection. You know, maybe it's the same type of instruments were available to all of us as we were growing up. The same influences as far as, you know, what was available to to sing and write about, you know, whether it be romance, whether it be political, whether it be anything. And then not to mention the similar influences of all of music that, that we've had. There is definitely... Um, and I, and I, this is what I, I'm getting from your your comments here. There's like a somewhat of a deeper connection with this band and their music than I, I would I would say most bands that that I've ever experienced. Yeah, I don't know that I ever would have articulated it that way, but I, I get exactly what you're saying. That's phenomenal. So with with I, I don't think I would have ever articulated it had we not decided to sit down and talk about it today. Well, that's <laughs> you know here again the beauty of the palaver. I love it. <laughs> Now, as as far as these first two records, again, I, I've I've given my my sort of fess up with Bread and Circus. When I listen to it, honestly, it's not it's not bad. It just to me, it sounds like a band that wants to be REM. Um, you know, and and I was trying to explain this to my son Aiden the other day. He, my my daughter, who's almost ten she has it in her mind that she wants to be a filmmaker when she grows up. But all of her film ideas are very thinly veiled ripoffs of things that already exist. And for, well, you know, as a nine year old, I can't believe that. So, so for (laughs) some reason, this offends Aiden so profoundly. (laughs) And, and, And I explained to him, I said, this is how creativity starts. You start out by trying to basically mimic something that you like because you don't know any better. And, and the beauty of it is, at least in in my own experience, is you're not when when you try to do that, you never do it with full fidelity because you don't have all the skills or or capabilities of whoever created the source material. And what you end up finding out is like, oh well, that wasn't exactly what I wanted, but this is kind of cool. And if I do this, and you start to build that that creative, you know, power, if you will, and and so I'm. You know, I, I don't say that they they sound like a band who wants to sound like REM as as a means of cutting them down. I think it's it's a reflection of the fact that they were, you know, they were 15, 16 years old. Exactly, and they weren't alone, right? I mean, yeah. how many how many bands did we play on our college radio station that it was like, nah, here's another, yeah, here's another REM. And I think that's kind of the funny thing is that, you know, even when I when I first you know played. Hold her down. I thought, nah, that's a cool song. Okay, I like it. It fits in with everything else I do. But it didn't really hit me as like, oh my gosh, these guys are awesome. Probably not until, you know, I heard things like uh, "Walk on the Ocean" and "Butterflies" when when you uh, yeah. duped fear. 
Um, yeah. And, and, and like you've talked about, you know, practicing the masterpiece before. And I think, I think the way you're saying it here is even better, right? It's not even like practicing the masterpiece. It's, it's sort of just figuring out who they are creatively. Um, and, and very much so through, through imitation. I'm, I'm blown away you know, by the idea that, you know, bread and circus is, is, um, you know, I, I truly believe that, you know, they're, they just are plugging into their amps and they don't know any better. Just like we didn't know that, like they bought a DS one distortion pedal and they're like, Oh, that sounds terrible. Turn it down. And, you know, there's so much clean, like super clean guitar. It's, it's, um, you know, and, 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 but they're just playing it because that's, you know, it's, it's not supposed to be distorted. It's supposed to be clean. And, um, it has all of the vocal ideas that, that, that will be so awesome later. It has some of the darkness that, that I love so much about Toad the Wet Sprocket. And, and maybe one of the coolest things about Bread and Circus is that, you know, it's easy to forget how much of a badass Dean Dinning is on bass. Um, when you get lost in all of the greatness of the later albums, but man, he really shines on bread and circus. I mean, he's just laying it down and he he's kicking ass and um, it's very clear because the guitars are so just thin and, you know, kind of out there in the mix. Um, he's kind of a monster on this one. It's very cool. You know, and, and I think we talked about this with Genesis, right? When you get a group of young musicians, there, there's usually going to be someone who sort of starts to blossom maybe before the rest. And, you know, in, in that, in that, in those very early incarnations, it's usually very obvious who that person is. And, and it can be, it can be kind of exciting. I like that you pointed out sort of the, the dichotomy of, you know, a, a lot of the music in Toad, can be sort of clean and and you'd almost think it happy but there's this there is this sort of underlying darkness to them you know and i i've i think that's definitely one of the things that i've always responded to certainly by the time it comes into fear that becomes you know just uh, uh, undeniable i think yeah and and you know we talked a lot with genesis we talked a lot about atmosphere and and creating atmosphere and that certainly, I think, is um, the the big, for me at least, it's the big piece that's missing in the first two albums, right? Um, it sounds like a you know a bunch of guys standing around who spent six hundred and fifty dollars to record songs they wrote. There there is not a lot of high quality atmospheric type of, you know. And I, when I say production, I don't mean just like sound production, right? Sure. There's there there's a there's a missing element that that they're not quite in, incorporating in that that shows up um, in fear when I think they have a producer and when they, um, when they're investing more into the actual recording that they're doing rather than just focusing on, you know, the chord structure of the songs, whatever it may be. Um, the other thing is that, you know, I, dude, I have recordings of when I was like 20, 20 years old and I sound like a, like a chipmunk. Um, my voice is so young sounding and like, and like dude is singing and he's 15, 15, 16 years old. And he doesn't really sound that much younger than, than he does throughout his whole life. Yeah. It's uncanny to me. It, it, it is pretty amazing. 
So if we move on from Bread and Circus into Pale, because I think, and, and you had alluded to this earlier on, there, there's, there's a definite arc here, and and Pale is is a big step towards them becoming the Tobe the Wet Sprocket of Fear. They're not, they're clearly not there, but it's, it's, it's probably closer maybe to Fear than it is to Bread and Circus, and there's a big space in between there. Um, so, but, but it, it is clearly a, a step in that direction, and. You know, one of the things that we had talked about, and, and I just looked, our, our Toad the Wet Sprocket SCS was SCS4, by the way. So way back. Oh, my gosh. Way, way back in the so day. So that, that, was, that was basically the first one after the three after, yes. After the three ARWs. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. So one of the things that we mentioned in that, as I recall, and, and I have a note here, and one of the things that sort of bring Toad the Wet Sprocket approaching uh, progressive land is is Glenn's lyrics and and the note I have here are such tense lyrics he's he's already at, as a as a as a young man able to craft lyrics in a way that that you know convey certain tensions and emotions and I think this is sort of the birth of that of that darkness and it's not the the good thing about it is he can and I don't know if it's if it's Glenn or if it's Glenn plus the the rest of the members of the band, but they're able to convey that darkness in a way that isn't overwhelming or gloomy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does make sense for sure. So one of the and even far far back to this point, one of the first songs that ever leapt out at me was was Corporal Brown. Mm. Now it, yes it. it because it, it's it's very catchy, but when you start listening to or reading the lyrics, you're like, Jesus. <laughs> this, this, is, this is some dark stuff here. I mean, you know, the, the, the guy is getting ragged on by his wife. He ends up killing her, takes her out and buries her, and some guy's watching the whole thing. I mean, that's that's messed up. No doubt about it. We, we seem to be drawn to the songs about um, men killing their wives, yeah. or their, or their, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know. So, like I said, Corporal Brown was always the one of the first to leap out at me. Um, but I think there are some other songs in this album that are probably quote unquote better. Uh, you know, and and I think there are a lot of the, a lot of the lyrics that that really sort of you know, speak to me in in a lot of ways. Um, I, I love even in torn like the the sort of dichotomy in, that's expressed in the the chorus of that song is is kind of cool. You've got the the two sides there, and 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 he's able to sort of do this throughout. And so the more time I've spent with Pale, the more the more I really enjoy it. It it's it it doesn't get me excited in the way that the next three albums do but i i find it to be a very very enjoyable listen the the other thing i find interesting about pale and this is something that toad will will again carry through 
we're talking about the, the the very late 80s and the very early 90s and so this idea of and I, I guess you'd call it Americana where you start to bring in the mandolins mm. and all the other instruments you know these are things that uh, you know John Mellencamp and and the Hooters were doing and, and things of that nature uh, so they they bring that in and it starts to show up a little bit here on pale. But I, I do think the way they always applied that was in a slightly different way so that it, it's noticeable, but it, it doesn't seem contrived, if that's the right word. Yeah. It's funny that you bring up the word Americana. I feel like back then we just called it alternative. Um, and, and we've sort of subcategorized alternative into the point of... Um, of there, I I agree. I think it's it's not contrived. I, I don't. I mean, hell, I I don't know what it was, but what I what I'm going to assign to it is that you know it's somewhere between them figuring out who they are and what they want to do, and and you know needing sort of the resources to actually do it and the and the sort of the production help, um, or just the maturity, uh, to to bring it home, um, but I. I hear exactly what you're saying. And, and in some ways for me, because I had to go back in the catalog to get to pale, uh, the biggest problem that I have with pale is that whenever I listen to it, I, I just want to listen to fear, <laughs> Dulcinea and coil. <laughs> that, that, that three album sequence is phenomenal. Yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying with regards to when you listen to pale, I, I find, I find sort of bouncing back and forth to to pale it's sort of like it it, it's sort of forced separation from the big three if you will and and, you know i still i still get my toad but i i'm sort of denying myself some of the the unending pleasure of those other three records dare i say something potentially inflammatory it's kind of like putting on tales from topographic oceans hmm you know, it's it's maybe not the the, the pinnacle of, of yes, or maybe it, <laughs> let's bag on it. Let's maybe it's like putting on Tromato. You know, sometimes you just have to listen to it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I said that just to uh, just to give people a, a hard time. I'm just imagining Sunday morning coming down and looking looking at you know the choices in the CD player between Tails and Pale. I wonder which one I would pick. <laughs> I guess it would be it would depend on how long I'm spending in the kitchen. But yes, go ahead. Sorry. Right, yeah. And and that brings us to fear. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know what what magic gave us fear. One of the things that you see, obviously, is adding in a producer, Gavin McKillop. And, you know, when you... uh, I'll probably piss some people off. I think the, the production, in terms of the sound, it's a little thin. I think the drums, particularly, are a very peculiar sound. But I think well, the, the 
so listen let's just get it off let's get it out of the way the drums are in many instances in fear are offensive <laughs> in in the and you know in the fact that we are now in the 90s and uh it, it's it, there's just there's a lot of bizarre choices made with the drum sounds um it, it, it in some cases it makes it it makes it difficult um there, there's a lot of production choices here. It's, it's ironic because there's so much amazing stuff going on on this record, and probably a lot of it has to do with the fact that they actually decided to produce something, but they clearly, you know, were still figuring it out, and the, the some of the choices that they made were, were um, interesting, and and I don't, I don't like them. So let's just say that. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to sidetrack. No, no. I mean, it's, you're 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 absolutely right. But what I was going to say is, while there are, you know, to your point, I think some some production choices in terms of of sounds and sound quality. I think there are some other production choices or or things that I am going to project as coming from the producer that really, really just launch this you know into the into the next level and uh, you know so it, it's it's funny and so Gavin McKellop is is on is on Dulcinea as well which is phenomenal all of those sonic issues sort of evaporate for for that album so you know I, I don't know what it was if they were in a strange studio recording this or Someone had a, a head cold and, and couldn't hear, uh, but you know, just looking at my notes that I had uh, written for this album a, a long time ago, uh, the first note I have here is this is fully formed toad, and then I said snare sound is in all caps terrible, which mm. is true. It, it's it's very true. It it's not it's not um, ABWH bad snare sound, but it's it's pretty pretty bad. I agree. Agree. Um, yeah, I'm looking for Gavin McKillop. Um, I'm having a tough time finding anything really uh, for him. Um, listen, I, I, I'm with you. I think that they just didn't know what the hell they were doing, and I love it. <laughs> um, I, I think that, um, you know, I don't want to skip ahead because there's so much to say about some of these songs, but like, I think that the, the, the drum problem is perhaps most obviously exemplified on the song Butterflies. Yes, yes. Um, you have uh, just the freaking great bass line. You have this awesome, like, they, they're, you know, they're, they're, crank, they're starting to crank up the guitars a little bit. They still don't quite have it figured out, but, but I think they're, you know, they figured out how to, like, get, get a decent, you know, crunchy sound and they just start with that. I mean, it's just so cool. And it's it's almost like they were at the board and they like and they just like shut everything off and just focused on the drums for a while. And then like and they got them as like they were using reverbs and all kinds of stuff and they were just trying to get the drums to be and they completely lost perspective on everything. And then they brought all the other instruments in and they were like, oh well now we've got to like now we got to make the bass sound really weird and right. boomy and 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 bizarro. And somehow the vocals end up sounding fucking amazing <laughs> um, 
in the song. So like they they're I, I f- it just really to me sounds like they're trying to figure it out and you know they just they just didn't really seem to have it figured out with the drums. And and, and um and it, I guess it's just it's just part of what it is, right? You know. Um and I think their their journey. I think the beauty of for me fear is so good. You know, I I I recognize and I accept the the god-awful drum sounds but it never bothers me the, the only reason I even wrote it down was because I was doing a palaver on it if I wasn't if I wasn't prepared to talk about it and record it I would have never ever said such a thing but one of the things I might have well yeah in passing conversation you, just you, saying and you did <laughs> <laughs> so one of the, one of the things that I love about this album and again here's another sort of facet, if you will, of of progressive rock, and, and maybe one of the things that I certainly like about this is you know, some of the the song structures on this album are just fun, and they're mm. not what you would expect from, you know, a, a normal popular type band at this time. One of, one of the things that I remember most, like, I love 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 walk on the ocean because on the album version you think you know it it hooks you into thinking you're going to get that last chorus and it just doesn't give it to you which Mm. is cool because you're like it is cool oh but when they released it as a single of course they had to tack on the last chorus which just you know it it detracts from it in a certain way there there is something amazing about how they you know, I mean, oh, and this is this is just—it's amazing how they just let it die on that line as we slowly grow old. Yeah. And 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 meanwhile, dudes, what was he nineteen? Yeah. At that point in time, <laughs> I mean, so like, "Walk on the Ocean" is is a song that that I perform, and and I've recently been performing it a lot, and. I always come to the end, and I'm never sure whether I should play the last chorus or not. And what do um, you do? Do you switch it up? Sometimes you do, sometimes I, I, you don't? I never want to play the last chorus because I'm with you. I think that the song should end at where it does on the studio recording. But most of the time, I'm looking at the clock and I think, well, I do have to play for three hours. I may as well do the chorus a couple <laughs> more times before I, before I end the song. <laughs> Well, and, and that's you know that's a that's a practical concern, but I think from an artistic perspective, I think it, it I think it took balls to end that song the way they did, and it's the first freaking yeah. song on the album. I mean, yes. right out of the gate, and I just think that is that's cool. Now I got to tell you something. I've been listening to "Walk on the Ocean" on Spotify for several years, ever since I've gotten Spotify, and. I'm only noticing it just now that it actually says Walk on the Ocean live at Cat's Paw Studios, Atlanta, Georgia, June 1994. Really? And this is the studio version. Like when I listen to it, I mean, this is not like a different version. And so, and, and of course. But that's impossible. Because it seems like nobody uh, wants to spend any time updating any information on the internet about Toad the Wet Sprocket. There's nothing, absolutely nothing on here about that song to indicate uh, what it is. But, but I'm telling you, it is. It's it's the song I've been listening to my whole life. I, you know, 
That's I weird. don't know. That yeah, I mean it's very impressive. Because when did this come out? This came out before ninety four, right? Nineteen ninety one. Yeah. So um, I don't know what's going on, but but that's pretty uh, pretty crazy. The next note huh? I have, sort of uh, across the board for this album, is these lyrics are so upfront. I get uncomfortable. Hmm. So, and, and some examples that I have down here is, you know, is it for me? Which was the first single off the record? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Whoops. You know, that's that's an interesting choice. But, I mean, the, just the kid breaking his leg and dragging him down the hill. and he, I mean, the kid winds up with a limp for the rest of his life for crying <laughs> out loud. <laughs> it's like, geez. At least he still can walk. What a great line yeah. that is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, it's unexpected. And, and hold her down. Yikes, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and... And that was my introduction to the band. So... No matter how much I liked it, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't know if I want to drive around singing that at yet, the top of my lungs, you but, know. But yet you do anyway because it's it, it's yeah, it just kind of draws you in. It's amazing. Yeah. You had mentioned uh, the bass line in Butterflies. Obviously, that's something you've got to you've got to sort of point out. And you know, for me, a lot of this album, I just there's so much to this that that speaks to me personally. Um, you know, I think Pray Your Gods is absolutely beautiful. I love stories I tell. Mm. I, I just, I think that one is, is great. And, you know, I will not take these things for granted is, dare I say it, a very John Anderson way to end an album. Ah, I agree. That's a great call out. Great call out. Wow. Never thought it like that before. Because it, it, it sort of switches it up and it has this this sort of positivity to it. You know, it, it's it's the way that John would close an album. It's it's your it's your um, holy lamb or, or you know, whatever other example you want to uh, point to. Yeah, and I feel like we have that same situation on Coil, which we'll get to later, obviously. Um a very similar ending in, in, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. I mean, I want to say that in all of the back and forth, when we were first being introduced to this record and, you know, for me, uh, butterflies was the song that, you know, made me just perk up and think, okay, wow, these, these guys are interesting. You're right. This is, this is cool. Baselines ripping the cool guitar riffs and the the different speakers, the spoken word with the girl, yeah, the lyrics that I have absolutely no idea what it means about anything, right? But I can't I can't help but try to sing every single part in the car while I'm while I'm driving, and um, uh, yeah, I mean it's just it, it's rhythmic it's driving it's powerful and the vocals are terrific i mean this that was the song that just made me be like okay and i'm pretty sure um i've spent um many many nights driving the blue route listening to only this song and just hitting the return the the rewind button nice. and, and playing it over and over again that is sweet what's what are your thoughts on nightingale song 
A Nightingale song is is one that uh, <laughs> seriously, anytime I'm you know, anytime you get you sit down and play guitar with someone and you're trying to figure out what to play, and they're like, "Oh, do you like Toto at Sprocket?" and they want to play Nightingale song. Really? And um, okay. And it's and it's never really been one that's that's ever hit me as uh, something. Um, it's got a cool melody and everything and a cool drum line, but um, it 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 isn't necessarily my cup of tea. And and it's a great time for me to admit that as much as I could say so many great things about Fear, um, you know, in these three albums, it's it's by far the ranked number three in my in my mind, um, because songs like. Nightingale song as as great as it is, it just for, for whatever reason it's it misses with me. I don't I don't quite uh, connect with it. I don't know why. So, what I, do you think? Yeah, and I I get that you talk about nostalgia, and so there there are a couple of albums that I have from from this particular time in my life that I associate with certain certain activities and and specifically driving certain places and so i i always this was in heavy rotation during that period and i don't even remember where i was driving to i was i was dating a girl and she lived somewhere south of where we lived i guess i mean it doesn't even matter but i it was <laughs> it was a, a 40 minute drive so i listened to this album a lot and so there's there's something about that that sort of resonates with me it, it's not the highlight of of the album by any stretch of the imagination but i do very much enjoy it mm -hmm. you know I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's great but I, I i enjoy it now one of the things another song i was i just pulled up the lyrics that and i love this song 90% because of the lyrics. Not that it's a bad song, because I, I don't think there's a, a bad song on this album. But the, the lyrics to Something to Say, there's just something about those lyrics that I love. I love to sing them. I mm. love sort of... There's something about the way that particular song makes me feel. And and it's, it, it's irrational, perhaps, but I, I respond to it. You know, he drops hints, but he won't tell you what's really on his mind. But I know if you, if I, but I know if I look that it's easy to find. And he's got a way with his anger and the way he lets it show, like the smoldering smoke when the fire's left the coals. When the fire's left the coals. Oh, God. You can nah. take me down to show me your home. Not the place where you live, but the place where you belong. Fucking mm. A, right. I mean, that's. Yeah. That's maybe as adolescent a lyric as Glenn Phillip is going to get, but it's still so fucking spot on, man. <laughs> That's why I love it. I love it. I mean, talking, speaking as a guy who has lived half half of his life in a place where I don't belong. I get yeah. that. Yeah, I, that's awesome, man. I get it. And... Um, his door is always open, and he's always got the time to go give a little something, even though he gets behind. And your trips become his, and your lives are entwined. But like the horse with the junkie, it's all in your mind. I just, oh. And mm. then, um, you know, and, and then it, it all finishes up. Um, 
You can bend my ear, we can talk all day. Just make sure you're around when I finally got something to say. You know, mm. it's just, I, I just, there's so much about that. And, and it's amazing to think of, of someone at that age sort of able to capture the, one of the truisms of life with such clarity. I mean, I, I barely comprehend the concept now, and I'm almost 50. Yeah. He articulated it perfectly, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah, man. Wow. So I think that's very cool. It's incredibly cool. That's um, that's awesome. That's spectacular. Um, I don't know that I've ever thought in that much about that song. I've just, but but like you, it, it it's one of my favorites to just sing along to in the car. It's it is so it's it's so real and so deep. I love that. Love that. Yeah, it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn Phillips, man, rock on. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned something about driving 40 minutes and, you know, if I think about my life and I wonder if it's the same for, um, for any of us, the, the idea of driving 40 minutes is like nothing to me. And, um, and in fact, when I, when I think about all of the jobs that I've had in the places I've chosen to live, um, everything happened actually in retrospect seems to have happened in 40 minute drives. <laughs> um, and I wonder if that is at all related to uh, subconsciously to the, you know, the average length of a, of a vinyl LP and the, um, and all of the music that we've listened to in, in our lives. Yeah. It's yeah, funny. I don't know. It's, that's, that's really funny. There's a lot of the, there's also a lot of the lyrics in stories I tell that really, resonate with me as well and i like you know talk about that sort of dark ambiance stories i tell really sort yeah. of gets that and you know you, you get sort of the the range of of glenn's vocals there you know he's he's got the sort of low slow parts and then he kind of really digs in and he's got that that growly thing going on and i think this is one of those those instances where you start to get maybe some of the the cool guitar tones as well yeah and and it, it you know it this is i think this is certainly a, a as close to a production hit in terms of sound as as i think you're going to find on this record at least for me yeah there's awesome dynamics in that tune that really just accentuate the um the feel um the way it builds up I mean, there's one point in time in the song where it basically ends, right? It kind yeah. of stops and it continues on. Yeah. So here, here's here's one for you, right? You know, speaking of production success, how do you feel about this song? Because with this song, it's almost like they were like, okay, hold on a second. The guys, the boys from Columbia are rolling in today to see how we're progressing. <laughs> um <laughs> I know where you're going. You know, let's let's dial up, uh, you know, pop drum kit number uh, one, two, four, and uh, and uh, let's play them all I want uh, when they come in. I mean, that that is it's a great song, but I mean, it is it is done like a like a commercial hit, you know, 
for adult contemporary music as if I've ever heard one. What do you, what do you think about that song? Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with I'm with you. It 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 is very, you know, when when you look at the rest of the songs on this on this record, there there's usually something that separates them from what you would call a normal pop song, right? And whether it's it's the strange the, the strange song structure of Walk on the Ocean, um, or you know the 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 spookiness of stories I tell, the the, the sort of dynamics of, of butterflies, and this is this is straightforward front to back in terms of, of the music. Um, hmm. But yeah, I mean this is this this went right from MTV to being broadcast in the grocery store. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there, there was no stop go. It was went right to the milk aisle. Right. I mean, it just, I mean, it's as accessible as a song that, that, you know, there is, it, it, it is accessible, but at the same time, it's not, it's, you know, it, it's not a, a mindless banal kind of accessible. It's true. It's not a it's not a simple tune for any any stretch at all. I agree with you. I agree with you. And, and you know that's that's one of the things that separates them out. So again, when we talked through the the Genesis segment, and you know you started to have sort of the influence of of you know commercial success coming into that band, and and you know even even yes did it with with nine zero one two five to a certain degree. When you have people of talent. Who decide to write a pop song? Uh, Stephen Wilson's in that category. You can yeah. you can get some some spectacular results, and I don't know. There there's nothing against it. It's just that that's what they wanted to do that day, and you know, I I have no problem with it. I recognize it for what it is. It doesn't offend me in any way, shape, or form. I always sing it very happily with all the other songs on the album. And you know, yeah, I, I I appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, and I for me, what's really cool about that song is that you know somehow I I can get through nine tracks of this and even two other albums if I if I dare spend the time and not even really stop to think about what a good singer Glenn Phillips is. <laughs> and you know, because in many ways he's kind of like a storyteller in, as in in these songs. Yeah. So, you know, even though he's doing some really great things and the vocals are incredible on Walk on the Ocean and on Butterflies and, you know, even Nightingale song, the way, you know, it's he's, you know, he's literally crooning. And and the song, um, Something to Say, I think one of the reasons it's so much fun to sing along to is because it's just a great vocal line. But, like, it's really easy to get drawn into the stories that he's telling and and the song that you don't even stop and think, wow, this guy can actually really sing. And um, part, you know, to me, all I want, strangely, uh, you know, you get those lush vocals. You, I always just sit back and be, and I just like in admiration, like, wow, these guys just really, really can sing. They've really got it going on. And Glenn Phillips, the way he dances around the melody and the uh, chorus, it's just beautiful. So to me, that's the, that's one of the remarkable things about that song is even when I'm like, Oh, here it is. You know, I'm just like you. I like sing it happily and just kind of marvel at at uh, at how good they are. Yeah, 
yeah, it's it's pretty uh, pretty cool. So, Paul, we've been we've been gabbing for whew, what about an hour and twenty minutes at this point? <laughs> really, has it been that long? Gosh, it, it, it really has been. So, uh, I mean, I do we I, do we do you're we suggesting that we. I think if you're suggesting we stop, I'm okay with it because I do know that uh, that uh, I, you know I definitely think that some of our palaver mates will have a lot of of things to add to the discussion around Dulcinea and and Coil. Yes, absolutely. So so why don't we why don't we sort of close it out here? I think. You know, Paul, I I think this was this was a, a fun way to sort of start this this little yeah, man. segment, and it's just it's great to talk about fear. I mean, this is an album that has been with us for you know most of our lives, and 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 like I said, it 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 holds a very special place in sort of my psyche with regard to some of the memories and whatnot. And, and while I can easily argue that Dulcinea and Coil are better in in a lot of regards. I, I will always place fear in a very, very special place in my heart. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I love the fact that, you know, um, and, and we'll probably touch upon this later. Like these guys have made a big impact on us musically and it all happened in a very short period of time, less than 10 years. Yeah. They delivered three albums that in have stood the test of time, have, have stood up to everything else that we've listened to. And, um, and, you know, we still marvel about it today and, and, and fear perhaps, um, I don't want to say more than most, but maybe surprisingly, um, lasted, um, just as long as, as the others, at least for me. Absolutely. Great. Good. Well, I look forward then to next episode where we continue on with Dulcinea and Coil, and we'll see how far we get uh, beyond that. But, Paul, definitely want to thank you for spending your evening with me talking some Toad the Wet Sprocket. It's always a good thing to do. Yes, it is. enjoyed this episode of progressive palaver we as always have enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and look forward to your thoughts comments feedback and questions anything you have to add on toad the wet sprocket please reach out to us on facebook instagram or twitter you can reach us there at prog Pala or search for progressive palaver you are welcome to email us our email address is prog Pala, that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com progressive palaver is available for subscription and download on apple Podcasts, google podcast and spotify or wherever you find your podcasts and we are as always hosted on soundcloud so until next time Thanks for listening.
Look at us. The kings of restraint. 